trust that we need when God stretches us with particular miracles. So open with me, stand with me, and let's read one of the most amazing stories in all of the scripture as Matthew unpacks this miracle. Starting in verse 22 in Matthew chapter 14, we read, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You can take your seat. Church, let's be honest. Walking on the water, it stretches most of us. I mean, it's not that we don't believe it. It's just simply in a category that, that unsettles us. Have you ever been around anything that unsettled you? I mean, if you're anything like me, when something unsettles you, you want answers. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, there are times when we need answers to, um, to seek objective understanding for things. And, that, and that's important, but... But that's for another sermon. Before we begin to unpack this message this morning, I need to tell you that I, I've seen a few miracles. I believe some of you have as well. I'll never forget the time uh, several years ago when I was with a group of people in a foreign country and we were praying for a young lady who had been blind since birth. A group of us gathered, we began to pray, and for the first time, uh, this girl saw. I'll, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was one of those moments that built my confidence that Jesus does today what he did many, many years ago. He, he still does those things. But walking on water? I mean... Walking on water, that's kind of like flying, isn't it? I mean, what I, you know, flying, that's, that's for Superman. Or for airplanes. And one of those is a cartoon. And, and the other is a, a marvel of modern science. To be quite honest with you, both of them uh, make me uneasy. I, I struggle uh, with this idea of flying, whether I'm looking at one 
or the other. You know, the only time I've ever flown outside of being on an airplane was the time that I got thrown from a horse. And, and since 9-11, well, you know, I, I wrestle with the science of flight. Church, flying or walking on water, it doesn't matter which. What I've come to learn that You know, as I follow Jesus, it doesn't matter whether I'm flying the friendly skies or whether somebody else is walking on water. It becomes necessary for me to learn to trust. We're called to trust Jesus. The point that I want to make this morning is that following Jesus calls for our trust in the face of some pretty deep challenges. So let's take a look at the disciples as they face this challenge of a miracle at sea or a miracle on the lake. This is Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. They're both uh, one and the same. And if you were here last week, you know that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Then he tells his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea. He goes up on a mountain to pray. And according to Matthew, this was the first time that Jesus sent his disciples out alone. Now, as they go, you see in the story that by evening, the waves start to roll in. They begin to batter the boat and beat it up. And soon, that little boat is being pushed further and further and further from the shore. Now, it's important for us to understand a couple things as we look at this text. The sea was more than something for these men to just fish on. Yes, it was their livelihood, but it meant so much more. You see, in the culture of the time, the sea was believed to be a place of chaos. It was believed to be a place of evil. And so when these men fished, they fished really close to the shore. The style of fishing was really, you didn't fish out of the sight of land. Deep sea fishing wasn't a thing back then. And so they had a, a concern for the sea. Actually, Hebrew and Babylonian and Canaanite culture, all of them were all very cautious of deep waters. And, and so they wouldn't usually go on them, and they, were, they feared that something evil was out there, and it was incumbent upon a deity to control all that stuff. That's how all the cultures dealt with deep waters. Well, uh, you, you see this attitude through the Bible. If you read it from cover to cover, you'll see it in many places. You'll see it particularly springing up in places like the Psalms and the book of Job. So, so here they are. I want you to picture this. Get in the story with me. Here they are now in the pitch black of night, in the dead of the sea, the text says it's 3 a.m., the weather is rough, and they are now nowhere close to land. I don't mean to digress here, but this is starting to feel like a movie. And we all know that bad things happen on the water in the middle of the ocean at 3 a.m. when things are murky and troubled. I mean... Have you ever seen Jaws? 
Now, I, I don't, I, I'm almost certain that uh, these men, none of them ever uh, watched a horror movie. But at this point, they all believe in ghosts. Okay, they're, they're worried about ghosts. These guys were afraid. There was something going on here, and they were disturbed. Uh, they're not only worried about the supernatural, I suspect they're also worried about the natural. Uh, the NIV uh, translation actually says that the boat was buffeted by the waves. Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. Uh, being buffeted by the waves doesn't have anything to do with a, a buffet. Uh, there, there was no comfort food uh, here this morning. And... Actually, if you look the word up, it actually means, buffeted actually means being heavily struck with repetition. Another translation of this renders the text, the boat was terrified by the waves. And so, when verse 27 says that the disciples cried out in fear, now you know why. I mean, this storm was extreme. Uh, they, they were facing one of the great challenges of their life. But here is Jesus just taking a walk out on the surf. And I, I want you to know something. This is a statement. And here's the statement. In the middle of the storms of your life, Jesus is the Lord of the storm. And as the text unfolds this story, we find that he can be trusted. So, church, there are many ways that uh, we're called to trust in our journey of discipleship. But this morning, we're going to look at three of them. We're going to learn that Jesus can be trusted with our fears. Jesus can be trusted with our calling, and Jesus can be trusted with our choices. Now, let me make something plain to you. There is a bad storm going on here, and Jesus sends his disciples into it. I already mentioned that this was the first time that Matthew tells them to go off on their own, and where does he send them? Right into dark clouds and angry waters. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. God is not unaware of the storms. He knows when they're coming. He even sends them. And more particularly, He sends His disciples, both then and now, out into the storms. In church, You've got to know, we've got to know as followers of Jesus that there are going to be times into which Jesus calls us where it feels like the wind is set against us. And that's okay. You see, many of these men were experienced fishermen. They knew what time it was. They knew the situation in which they were. But the question for them and the question for us is, will we trust Jesus with our fears? 
And that's a question that we need to wrestle through to some kind of an answer. Why? Church, why? Because it's arguably, uh, you could arguably say that fear is what most inhibits us in accomplishing the things that Jesus has called us to. Fear. Not our lack of resources, not our lack of reputation, not our, uh, you know, all of our, our, our popularity. What calls us to abort the mission more than anything else is fear. If you were less afraid, you would love more. You would stand up for what was right more. You would follow Jesus into more things. You would worry less what people think. And yet, I know, as well as you know, that fear is one of the most common things we share. Fear is something that we all live with. Why do you think the Bible talks about fear so much? Do you know that the Bible tells us 366 times, don't fear. You know, that's once a day for a year with a little extra thrown in. It's a lot of talk about not fearing. But look, if you've ever been afraid, let me say, church, you're in good company. Fear is part of the human condition. And there have been great disciples who have lived through their fear. Moses was a man who was called to lead, and he knew he was called to lead, and he feared that his leadership would fail because he was not a rock star preacher. Jacob was a man afraid. He was afraid of a relationship with his brother because of a past family dynamic. The disciples, all of them, every one of them in this boat were afraid. They were afraid that they were going to die in that boat. And even the one that got out, well, he sunk beneath the waves that day for fear as he was trying to make his way to where he, he was hearing Jesus call him. Look, we all know fear. What are you afraid of? You afraid of a tough relationship? Are you afraid of the opinions of others? Are you afraid of a lack of resources? Are you afraid of dying from something? Or, or worse, are you afraid of having to live with something? Are you afraid? Have you ever been afraid? <laughs> Welcome to the journey of faith, church. You know, maybe you fear failing. I, I certainly do. I'm no fan of failing. Ask my wife. I mean, we've... We've aborted many family board games because I do not like to fail or lose. But you know, um, I'm not alone. You're not alone. There were 11 guys that failed to trust Jesus on those waves. Only one of them succeeded temporarily. And as soon as he stopped trusting... His walk on the water actually went into the tank. 
Here, here is Peter, and in just one moment, all in one moment, he experiences the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, all like that. But, but church, let me ask you do, you, do you think this has anything to do with winning or losing? This has nothing to do with winning or losing. What this is about is trust. It's about trusting Jesus. That's the whole point of what's going on here. Now, Peter had a moment of failure. You know, failure happens. The disciples had a moment of failure. Failure happens. You and I have all had our moments of failure. It happens. But my question to you this morning is, what are you learning from it? There's a, a great story about uh, Churchill. Uh, Churchill was asked at one point, what was it that gave him the, the courage to risk uh, in, in the face of opposition? He, he had to stand up and speak out against the political power of Hitler. This was a major risk for him at the time. And somebody later on in his life asked him, they said, what, what was it that shaped you, that allowed you to stand in that moment and, and speak the truth to, to power that day. And he said, well, it was, uh, it was about an exam uh, that I took in grade school that I had to repeat. And they said, wow, you actually failed an exam? He said, I, didn't, I never failed anything. He said, I got it right the second time. Now, look, there, there was discipleship failure on the water that day. But Peter learned from it. And, and, you know, he learned from it in a way that nobody else did that, that time. There was something that he learned through that experience that created in him an incredible trust. Let me tell you a little secret as you're working your way through trust. Fear. It never really goes away always there yeah there are times it recedes into the background it gets small in the shadows but it's always there it's always there for the next time you're going to have to face something it's always there for the next time that you're going to have to break through a, a a ceiling in your life you're going to have to face fear but the good news is that Jesus walks right out into the middle of those waves. He steps onto the storms of life and he invites our trust. In fact, he, he calls us to it. If you look at verse 28, you're going to see that Peter was called. I mean, Peter was, he was trying to work some things out. Here he is in the boat and he's, He's saying, should I stay or should I go? And, and, you know, what should I do, Lord? And if you're in this, call me. And the Lord calls out to Peter to, to come to him. Listen, church, when the Lord calls you, first and foremost, he is going to call you to himself. 
He's going to call you into his presence. That's the first point of any calling. When God calls, he calls us to himself. In fact, this storm is a total setup for the Lord to tip his disciples off on this truth. Mark's gospel account of this story actually makes an amazing observation. Mark says in his text, if you go over and look at it, I think it's in Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus intended to pass them by. Well, what does that mean? Here they are, they're in the middle of a storm. Jesus is going to pass them by? I mean, what, what is he, just intending to like leave them alone out there? No. That, actually, it's, it's the polar opposite of that. That word, pass by, you see, it, it means something. And it's a verb here in this text, but in the Greek, the word also is, the same word is given, and it means for those moments where God makes himself manifestly present, undeniably known. And so I want you to think with me. Let's go up with Moses on the mountain in the cleft of the rock. Why did God put him there? God put him there so that he could see his glory, what? Pass by. And how about Elijah? When God put Elijah on the mountain in that particular place, why did he put him there in that time at that moment? Well, that was where he was going to pass by. You see, what's going on here is Jesus, and in the text, the scripture here is giving indication that God is about to make himself known undeniably, intimately, personally. God wanted to get their attention. He wanted them to learn to recognize his presence. He did it through wind, and he did it through fire. And this day, he does it through walking on the waves. You see, he's not trying to avoid them. He's trying to let them see that he's coming near. And look, I want to tell you, church, as you consider your own calling, You've got to know that when he calls you, he's not just calling you to do stuff. He's calling you to be with him. He's calling you to be with him whether life has you on a mountaintop or in the middle of a storm. He's calling you to be with him in the great victories and in the great trials of your life. When he calls you, he calls you to come near. And he comes near. Let me share some other things about this calling. You know, I've been taught by my mentors, both personal mentors and mentors that I've learned from in all kinds of different ways. This idea of calling, there's a vital part of it that is wrapped up in our God-given gifts and our talents and our desires. And you and I, you see, we, we were called to identify those things. We were called to learn what they were and to work with them and, and to grow in them and to develop them. You know, that is actually probably the biggest reason why you exist on this earth is to, to discern that and to 
step into it and through that glorify God. But here's, here's part of the challenge. We weren't typically born knowing all this stuff. We, we come to it by process. Uh, we, we've got to learn as we go what that is. And church, let me, let me tell you, this is more about listening than it is anything else. This word vocation or calling, if, if you actually look at it in, in the, um, uh, the Latin, the word for vocation means voice. Discerning your calling is more about listening than it is choosing. You've got to listen to your life. And so, let me just encourage you this morning that if you're wrestling with your own calling, that's okay. It comes through discovery. It comes in part and process. And we all come into a fuller sense of it. Look, my, my friend uh, Fred Hartley, probably my most personal mentor, Fred has, has often said to me, look, although your calling has always been there, your assignment can change. He, he would say, basically, you, you often learn to discern your calling through your many assignments. Now think about this. King David. King David was called to lead a nation. But he also had assignments. And one of them was shepherding. You see, David grew through character and he grew through competencies as a shepherd as he began to discern his calling. And let me say this. Although our calling, you know, when we hear this word calling, we get excited. I get excited. Because, you know, when you think of calling, you think, ah, oh, this is what I was made for. This is what makes me uh, pound the table. This is, this is what makes my tail wag. Let me, let me say this. Although your calling can bring you deep satisfaction, and although you were made for your calling, let me just tell you, it's not necessarily finding that dream job on monster.com. I mean, calling does not necessarily equal power or wealth or status. Anybody know a guy named Jeremiah? There's this guy, Jeremiah, he was a prophet. And Jeremiah had a calling. Anybody know what Jeremiah's calling was? Jeremiah's calling was to preach. But it was to preach to people who weren't going to listen to him. That was his calling. Go preach to those people and they're not going to listen to anything you say. How's that for a calling? And although Jeremiah learned to preach and he learned to trust God in his calling, Jeremiah cried a whole lot. Cried a whole bunch. Cried so much they, they called him the crybaby prophet. Called him the weeping prophet. But you know Peter, Peter, he, he cried. He cried right here in verse 30. Peter cried when the weather got rough and the assignment got tough. But let me tell you, he came to understand that he could trust Jesus. He came to understand that he could trust him, and so can you. You can trust him with every choice you make. 
Listen, friends, if you're going to step into a calling, you do have some choices to make. I wish I could tell you that all those choices were easy. Peter had uh, to, to step out of a boat. He had to step, let me just, Peter had to step out of a boat onto water in a storm. I feel for this guy. I mean, that's a lot of risk. It's a lot of risk. But let me just say, the discipleship is not just about nice notions of being hugged by the presence of God. It's about going to him where he is, even if it's in the middle of a storm. Listen, I want us to be comforted by the gospel. I want us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the love of God is the most important place you'll ever be. It's home. The presence of God, the presence of the Father, that's home. Don't ever forget that. You can be at home anywhere you are when you're in his presence. But I do want to say that no matter how much God loves you, don't ever get to the point where you've become so comfortable where you think he will not call you out of that boat. He will, and he does. And he may send you into a storm. In fact, in fact, the kind of assignments that God gives, they're mostly hard. They're all really hard. I mean, look at the callings of anybody in Scripture. None of them were easy. None of, none of them. Anybody remember a guy named Jonah? Man, I like that guy. He was honest. Um, he, he obeyed God, but he wrestled with him. You know, God's call on Jonah was to go to the most wicked city, the most violent city in all the world, and to stand and to tell the people, repent or die. Yikes. I mean, I, I feel this guy's pain. And that comfort-seeking side of me Oh man, I don't blame Jonah one bit for bailing out and getting involved in the whaling industry. I mean, who, who would blame Jonah? Jonah said no. He said no at first. But he learned to trust God. And eventually he grew through the choices that he made. In church, we do have choices. Every one of us has choices. And if we're going to grow as disciples, I'm going to tell you this morning that there are going to be points along the path of discipleship where you are going to have to choose between risk and comfort. He, he leads us there. Now listen, I'm 45 years old. That's, you know what that is? That's called middle age. 
middle age. I see some of my 90-year-old friends back here. You know I'm halfway there. I mean, that's, that's middle age. And everything tells me, the world tells me that in middle age, what you do is you set your borders of protection. You set the edges of your comfort. You deal with your investments. You begin to minimize your risk at that point in life. And man, that sure sounds good to me. It really does. I mean, there's just something about it that sounds right. I mean, planning wisely, being a, a good steward, that's undeniably biblical. You can't read your Bible and miss it. But you can't follow Jesus and also miss the fact that when you follow Him, He makes it clear that the ultimate value in life is not comfort. It can never be the ultimate value. On the other hand, I, I look at this story and I think, well, it's really not just about choosing risk for the sake of risk either. I mean, Peter, you know, he, he, didn't just, he didn't just take a plunge. I mean, he was, he was trying to qualify some things in that boat. He was trying to get some things figured out. I mean, he, here he is. He, he's, he's asking questions. Lord, if, 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 if it's you, command me. Call me. You know, I mean, I think Peter knew that courage wasn't enough to just jump out of this boat. He, he was trying to make a discerning choice. I mean, he's trying to get some clarity before he gets out of the boat and onto these waves. But ultimately, he, he makes a choice. And some of you are facing choices this morning. I mean, you're wondering if Jesus can be trusted in those choices. Now, look at this story. Jesus shows himself to be completely trustworthy. Peter does not perish. He rescues him from the waves. He pulls him up. He comforts him. He even gives him a little pep talk, a little counseling, a little free counseling session out there on the surf. I mean, look at what he says to Peter. He says that to him out there. He doesn't say it to him, doesn't call him out in front of his friends in the boat. Okay? Jesus can be trusted. He's, he's for us. He's for us in our successes and in our failures. He's for us when we walk on water or when we get hammered by waves. But don't believe for one second that he's not going to call you at times, to get out of the boat. What's your boat, church? What's your boat this morning? Now, I'm not sure the boat that these disciples were in was that much to brag about. Uh, I've been to Israel. Um, I've been to this sea where they sailed. I've seen the kinds of boats that they used in those days. Those boats weren't much to look at. They weren't cruise ships. They were better than swimming in troubled waters, but they weren't, they weren't much to look at. You know, I've, I've learned through many people uh, that your boat is most likely whatever represents your safety and your security apart from God himself. That's your boat. What's your boat this morning? What is it? Is it 
the opinion of a certain group of people? Is it your 401k or your stock portfolio? Is it your job assignment? Is it a growing dependence on things that are bad for you? Is it something good in your life that you're allowing to threaten that position of lordship in your life? What's your boat? We've all got our boats, and we've all got choices as we look at those boats. Is God calling you out of your boats this morning? I suspect he's calling some of you out of some boats this morning.